Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. I'm excited today to share this supersized episode with my guest, Bob Lambert. Bob is the founding partner of the Samurai Business Group, which is a sales and business development performance firm. They've been helping small and mid-sized businesses drastically improve growth for over two decades. Bob's background also includes building and running a number of startups, including a marketing agency. Plus, he has his own radio show and podcast. Bob's tagline is, it is time to quit selling and start helping your prospects buy. And that's at the core of the conversation that we have today. This episode is great for all founders and business owners that are really serious about growing their business. We talk about everything from strategy to specific and actionable tactics that you can implement today, as well as in other topics, but it's all about growth, you know, sales, the type of folks you should be looking for in sales roles and really thinking about how to set up your business for scale. I think you'll get a lot of value out of this conversation, so enjoy, and now, on to the interview. Hey, good morning, Bob. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, great to be here. Hey, happy new year to you. I know we're not supposed to time date our interviews, but you know, start of the new year. So let's Especially start fresh. after this last one. <laughs> exactly. I don't know if we've been, anybody's been looking more forward to a change in year than, than most of us. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, so anyway, welcome. I've been definitely looking forward to this conversation to get us started. Why don't you give the audience just a little bit of your background and, and what you're working on today, and then we'll, we'll get into it. I was very fortunate to start my career with a global 50 company called little company called Nestle. It was a, as I say, it was a sweet deal. And anyway, no pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. So I spent my first decade of my career there and I had the privilege of being on marketing team that launched, uh, launched a, a major brand called Tasha Choice Coffee, ended up migrating out the sales organization. That's what started my sales career. After 10 years, left that and actually entered my entrepreneurial part of my career. <laughs> so for the next 15 years, I founded and co-founded three companies and mainly in services space around CPG and marketing and that kind of thing. That's what kind of led me into. Then I, I did a very painful thing. I went back into you know corporate which you know about because we share that in common, which became that little company called Experian. Only I was on the side that got, got acquired and then ended up going out into a couple of successive things that I did more entrepreneurial and then founded the Samurai Business Group. Actually, I had in mid eighties had a uh, marketing agency uh, here in Chicago called the uh, Marketing Edge. And uh, two things of note there is we were the guys that uh, I'm the nerds guy, nerds candy. So we launched that kidding. nationwide double size of Wally Wonka brands in 13 months with the launch of that one product. And then we had the privilege and the honor of launching Muhammad Ali's International Fan Club. Really? So, yeah. So it was just a little bit of the marketing chops. But actually, when I was at the agency, when it came together for me, Brett, because I'd worked both in marketing and sales, that's when really I really started using the term business development and bringing those two, because those two are inexorably linked to each other, as you know. You can't do one without the other. And marketing is a tough thing. It's amorphous as to how you determine what that is. Sales is pretty definite. You know, you got you, you to you you scorecard with that. And, and so, but I felt that all the successful campaigns we did, all the successful launches and my experience, having those things synergistically together, man, that, that was really success. And that's what we because we were a marketing agency, we we're agnostic as far as any of the disciplines. Okay. Yeah, we did advertising, sales, promotion, public relations, and direct marketing. So that was kind of the dawn of the marketing agency. And yeah, um, interesting. Yeah, it was great. We, it was a, a great time, especially working on kids' products. We had a blast. And a lot of our clients were marquee clients, you know, Procter & Gamble, ConAgra, uh, Quaker Oats, on and on the list goes. Then started to branch out into other types of industries finance, airlines, on and on, you know, those types of things too. Right. And then it led me into basically took a, a year hiatus out of that just to kind of catch my breath and see, and then ended up going into a couple startups, rolled out of that. And that's when I formed the Samurai Business Group in 01. So we're in 20 years into oh, that. Congratulations on that. For, Thank you. For one. Yeah. And just curious, let's, let's stick on that for a second, because 
know, it's an, I didn't realize necessarily we shared kind of the, the agency background first and transitioned into sales. So I do 100% agree. It gives you a different perspective. Yeah, it does. Especially where we're heading today. But two, so why the pivot from, you know, basically agency, some CPG to B2B sales, right? And maybe it didn't start that way 20 years ago, but I'm just kind of curious what gap you saw that you decided where I'm going to start a business and go help these folks. Well, this is going to sound kind of corny, but, you know, I had wonderful training. I had, I've been through a tremendous amount of training, a lot of coaching, a lot of mentoring. I really value that. It's really helped my career. It really set me in the right track and, and discipline. And I was just terribly disappointed when I see what companies were doing with young people. It, it was just like they were throwing them in the deep end of the pool, not even giving them floaties, you know, sink or swim. And, well, that kind of can build some character and really be kind of some testing. But the fact of the matter is it's like a revolving door. So I was going to, I was out to write that wrong, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and that was the genesis of Samurai business group to tell you the truth. I mean, when we started, I, I wanted to really work with young people, lift them up. Well, I found out pretty quickly. They couldn't pay me, you know, (laughs) back to doing the kind of things and, and kind of what kind of gravitated towards agencies and people like that, because as you know, in that business, it's up and down, you know, the revenue line, it's you're only as good as your last account. And, you know, if a big account falls off and what I found was this kind of constant jerking back and forth where all of a sudden you lose a couple of, okay, everybody on, on the sales side here and we got to gen up some new business. And then you get a couple of, okay, now everybody back over here, you know, doing the work of the client. And so it was a natural thing for me to come and smooth those out, you know, because I'd lived it and I knew what it was about and how to do it and, and focus people on having a consistent business development program. So that was kind of led the way, but simultaneous to that. I got to tell you, we were just enormously, I was enormously blessed because at that time, DePaul University was forming their Center for Sales Leadership. Right. And they were vetting training companies. And I happened to know one of the guys who was the triumph that really started that thing. Through that, he asked me if I wanted to throw our hat in the ring with, you know, what we developed. And I said, yeah. And sure enough, guess what? <laughs> it was two big firms, you know, that get selected and little old samurai. Awesome. And of course, the part of that process is because we really kind of flipped the coin on sales process or business development. And that was, we focused on the buy, not on the sell. Imagine that now today I'm hearing all this, the buyer's journey and everything like that. Well, right. I've been doing that for over 25 years. And a lot of it germinated out of my marketing background. Cause as you know, you start with the consumer, the end user, then drive that too. And a lot of it had to do with emotion. We knew that theoretically, but now we know it absolutely empirically. People buy emotionally. They justify that through intellect, you know, that decision. And it's a whole process. So we set out with real research about that from the buyer's perspective, which is no surprise how they rated salespeople, you know, (laughs) which is, hasn't, hasn't changed much. And so that was really the whole genesis of this thing. Well, lo and behold, the kids really took to it, you know, that we're, we're, we were teaching down to Paul and we became an intricate part of that program. And so we were asked to, to do a semester long case study and using the buying decision model as part of that. So they built a case, they had to go in there, they had to use the buying decision model to execute it up in salesforce.com to get their grade. So we vetted that for a couple of semesters and lo and behold, Harvard Business Review comes knocking on the door. They want to do an expose on, on DePaul. They find out they've got the sales curriculum. They were enamored with that and bang, they did a whole big article on that. That led to some national press and some other stuff. And all of a sudden, DePaul gets a knock on the door from all these colleges and universities that have some part of a, some sort of a sales curriculum. And they go, hey, what do you guys got? What do you got? Well, that case that we built with DePaul was the first thing that they sold. The 36 college universities now are using that in their sales curriculum. Oh, that is fantastic. So it's bigger and better breadth than I could have ever imagined, you know, when I set out to right or wrong. And we were so blessed to be a part of that. I'll take no credit for any of that stuff because that's all, all to DePaul and their credit. Yeah, but we worked very collaboratively with them. You had to be there and, and provide it and have that insight, which goes back to, you know, I had I have conversations all the time with entrepreneurs and founders looking to start businesses and you know part of them want to lead with technology and i said no start start with the problem you're solving first and work back and obviously you saw that problem depaul saw that problem now finally i think we're i mean i still in and out with i can't forget i can't remember the name of the association that keeps track of all the colleges that now have curriculum around sales sales management sales leadership so well, actually depaul does that they're one okay. they're the number one program in the country because they have both the graduate and the undergraduate can take sales program. 
I met a lot of DePaul, you know, MBAs that said, boy, I wish we had something like that, you know, when I was in school, because, you know, marketing is, you know, sanctioned and it's certified and that's a big thing, but geez, you know, without sales, you got no, you got nothing. You know, 100%, right. We could actually probably do an entire episode on, on this aspect of it. So I, I'm going to make a note yeah. that we'll circle back because I do think it's an, an important topic, but I do want to kind of segue back to what you had talked about with, with the buyer journey. And, you know, one of your taglines is it's time to quit selling and start helping your prospects buy, right? Yeah. Which I love that. And maybe it's because, again, we both came from a demand gen and a marketing background and aligning it with sales. But you know, and if we want to tie that now to founders, right? So if you look mm-hmm. at the typical entrepreneurial journey and assume they didn't get $10 million in funds pre-seed that, you know, the founders have been selling or the co-founders have been selling. Right. And now it's time to start thinking about, you know, building out an organizational approach to, to sales. So with the buyer, buyer enablement in mind, you know, how, what are your thoughts and what are your kind of your general recommendations to founders as they're starting to think about building out a sales org? Uh, early and often, <laughs> early and often, yeah. No, I, I agree. And, and again, I think one of the things that we talked a little bit about off, off air was that it isn't just creating, I think the default for a lot of founders is, Hey, I'm going to go hire some salespeople, right? Yeah. Maybe the right answer may not be the right answer. Maybe it's building more demand with marketing, but, you know, I'd love to get your perspective on how do I start thinking about making sales an organizational responsibility versus just a sales function? You know, it's pretty basic stuff with me. It's called sales. If it ain't coming in the front door, nothing else matters. I don't care how good your stuff is. And you have to have a mindset about revenue generation. I mean, when you get down to the whole point of this whole thing is how are you generating revenue? Now, there's a couple different paths, as we know, to do that. But if there's going to be, if you're in the business of selling to human beings, which I believe we all are, not aliens or robots, because that's my tagline. If you're selling to human beings, I got something for you. If you're selling to aliens or robots, I can't help you, you know. And, And again, with the mindset that it's about the buy. So how are you really going about helping people to buy? Buy. This is really great. This is the thing I tell my, my clients all the time. Buyers will tell you everything you need to know to help them to buy from you. They will. And that basically is doing two things. And when I lecture down at the schools at Northwestern University of Chicago and DePaul, I sell, you know, and I, I've got a very short window of time. They're saying, hey, give these kids something, you know, uh, these are life lessons. And that is ask great questions and shut up and listen. God gave you two ears and one mouth, use them in those proportions. And I think that's been the bane of sales existence for a long time because we're long on uh, training and information and knowledge of pro- about the products and the services. And we're short the sales competency piece of this and skills. Those are two different things. They're both important. You got to know what you're talking about. But at the t- same time, you got to be able to understand what's going on the other side of the table there and draw that out of people so that to see if there's a fit. I don't have sales meeting. I have, I have conversations to see if there's a fit between us. I don't pre-qualify anybody. I mean, there's certain things if they don't fit in a certain way that, you know, for us, but, you know, I, lo- I look at this as I start on that side of the desk. Why am I here? What problem do you think I can solve for you? You know? And so to your point about what you ask about the, you know, the mindset of, you know, entrepreneurs and founders, you know, and we know this, they're all in their head about their stuff. Right. And they think that, Oh, if I go out here and buy, get some salespeople come in here and slap it out. First of all, none of them are going to work as hard as you do. That's another mindset that you have to get. Okay. You're the owner. You're responsible. Don't expect salespeople. I mean, they're driven by a couple of core things, right? Making money, getting satisfaction, making a win, you know, those kind of things. And there's certain types for certain roles that you're going to have in sales. So that's the other part of this. Be very careful about how you go about recruiting. And that's one of the things we do in our management program. We lead with that. How do you really go out there and recruit great salespeople? How do you do, what's the vetting process? And then really important, especially for startups and small companies, what's your onboarding process? That's the biggest failure we see with most companies, and especially the smaller ones. They don't have a codified onboarding program to get these people off to great. You got to set them up for success. Don't expect, even if it's a veteran salesperson, they're coming into a different environment. You know, we've seen the failure after failure. We take somebody out of a fortune 500 company where they got all the access and all the tools and all the support. And then you plunk, plunk them into a mid-market company because they came up and they think you think they're going to be, you know, a rock star. 
And we see a lot of failure with that because they don't have an entrepreneurial mindset. They've had a lot of stuff handed to them, you know, and now all of a sudden they've got to do all the work that somebody else was doing for them. Right. Now, hundred percent agree with you. And I think the default a lot of time for entrepreneurs is oh, this, this person's been in the industry for 20 years. They could, they could sell it. <laughs> right. Which I get. And, you know, one of the things that I, I caution the founders is what's, what's your objective with this hire, right? Because if you hire one salesperson, and, I, you know, with your samurai business name, I think you agree with this, but we'll find out is, you know, sales is still a hand to hand combat, right? It's one on one. Yep. I can yep. bring you in, you hit your quota, you're going to help me grow the business, but you're not going to help me scale my business, right? Yep. So there's other things you have to do within the organization to set those folks up to scale. So I guess if I'm looking at first hires, right, there's two pieces, people that bring a Rolodex of network contacts. And then there's folks that I think you you work with the younger folks that are building the right skill set to help to drive it. So I know there's probably no one answer, but I love your perspective on those two as you see these orgs starting to grow or even in the mid-market where you're trying to get them to think differently about growing their business. You set it out. You know, it's really get clear as to what the role is of that person that you're bringing in, Okay. And set the proper expectation for that. Because oftentimes what I find is, you know, you got this great resume and all that stuff. That doesn't mean they're a fit for your organization. Okay. So you got to, you got to really get your act together as far as the whole interview process, vetting people, getting, getting the right people in front of you, and then have an organized way of going about drawing out. Cause you know, salespeople are really good about telling you what you want to hear. You know, <laughs> just imagine that, right. Especially veteran salespeople, right. Yeah. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. And also you got to make it attractive for them. I mean, if they're really, you know, I don't know too many rock stars, you know, they're going to work for small mid-market companies that haven't got something that they see that's really going to be what they're, what they're not getting now. And generally speaking, there's a high price tag with that, but particularly for mid-level and upper level salespeople, if, if they're tired of the grind, if they're tired of the, of the nonsense that happens oftentimes in a lot of larger corporations, then you sit there and say, what is it that they're really looking for? What is it that they're going to bring to the party here? The other thing too, is you got to be very careful about, you know, they look good on paper. They talk a good story, do your homework, man, do your background check. Cause what they did in the past doesn't mean that that's something that they're going to be in the future. And you got to blow away some of the smoke. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And I think to, to that point, some of the most successful salespeople, no, they're not cold calling. They're, they're really good closers. And to your point on enterprise, you may be getting 90% of your leads are coming inbound. You just have yeah. to qualify and, and move them through the process. And in small business and startups, you may not have that luxury. Yeah. And I don't know any, you know, really uh, rainmaker that loves jumping out of bed in the morning and doing a hundred dials. You know, right. I mean, it just doesn't happen. I tell clients all the time, outsource that to pros that really get it. Use those quality people like that to be your guys that get in front of the, that buyer or that prospect and let them use really what their skill and talent is. It's to move it through the process and get it to a positive result. You yeah. know? Now with younger people, what I would share with you, and I, I would say this about any hire in sales, you hire for attitude because you can, you can teach them everything else, right? If they are willing and able, that's the other two things you want to make sure. Are they willing and are they able? That is part of a little bit of a, a glitch with mid-chair or mid-service or higher service. Are they willing and able to learn? Are they willing and able to, you know, be trained and be coached and those kind of things? Because don't take it that, okay, I hired you. Boom. There, here you go. There's the desk. There's a the computer. Go off and, and hit the ground running. That's another recipe for failure. Yeah. And what happens we see oftentimes is people do not chop off the dead wood quickly. There's an old adage, right? Hire slowly, fire quickly. And in sales, there's a scorecard. Unlike a lot of other positions in the company, there's a de definitive scorecard. So what we basically have the, the saying is you don't keep them any longer than their mother did, you know, to birth them. <laughs> okay, I like it. <laughs> a nine-month horizon. I don't care how long your sales cycle is. If you got the benchmarks in there, 30, 60, 90, 120 days, you're going to see the trajectory, how they doing. If they're on the right track, they're hitting the benchmarks. Okay, you've got somebody that you can write it out with, even if you got a two-year sale or a six, you know, a year and a half sale. But you also have to compensate them. You know, good salespeople aren't going to come to work for you just on straight commission or a low salary, and then everything's back ended. You know, yeah. And with the younger people, what I would share with you is if they've got again that attitude, you, you can see it in there. If you if you're hiring for a hunter, if you're hiring for a farmer, that's a different ballgame. 
that's a great point. And it is really two different skill sets. And bingo, you know, you one of the, the things that I've been seeing and or advocating a little bit is looking at kind of the role of the salesperson, right? If it's somebody that's coming inbound, even if you're a hunter, but yet you're still closing new business, right? The, uh, one of the skill sets that I've started to recommend for is problem solving, right? It's, you've got to think problem solving and facilitation, <laughs> you know, helping them get through the process as, as quickly as possible. And what I know was, gonna so, I know this is going to sound old school. It's really called critical thinking. Right. And I think right. frankly, and it's not a knock anybody, but, but I see there's a generational issue with critical thinking, you know, and that's one of the things that we bring to the party through our curriculum. You definitely get a heavy dose of critical thinking in this, you know, because this isn't, you know, I, I've often used the term because I, I am a Navy veteran, but this is SEAL Team 6 stuff. This is heavy lifting, you know, what we go through. And it's a matter because of time. Right. You know, if you want to be skilled and become master, we talk about mastery all the time. Our program's a mastery level program. So, you know, you got to spend time to do these things. You got to practice, you keep doing. There's not any top athlete. And look at Michael Jordan. How many hours this guy used to practice and throw, uh, you know, throw free throws. Oftentimes when you see the game films where he'd be there closing his eyes and throwing that ball in, just visualizing it in, but how many reps was he doing? He'd show up early and stay later than anybody else. Right. And he had more talent, right? That's a perfect example. Is a gifted athlete, you know, but then there, there's, there's the other component of that. Right. And that's the management component. He didn't have any rings on his finger until Phil Jackson came in and, and really Phil basically put those role players and let Michael know there's no I in team. Okay. Exactly. It's a team sport. And, and if you get a good team together around a great rep, boy, that's when it can really, really work out for you. Yeah. It's not an easy process. And no, people think I, it is. It's just not. And I think that's where some of the, I mean, we lived through the I don't know, early 2010s through 2015. It was just a different time with B2B. You could, you know, there was more of that, yep. you know, I don't know stereotype too much but the frat boy mentality with inside sales or used car sales approach is just aggressive and loud and fast and you know yeah. that doesn't that doesn't work anymore and, and you know, going back to your critical thinking piece i'd actually done some work with a kind of a high growth software startup mm -hmm. and one of the interesting things that they had done at the time was they actually into their sdr program which is business development usually entry level yep. for a lot of companies you know, there were two Ivy school grads that they brought mm -hmm. into those positions where you don't typically think Ivy yeah. school and I'm going into sales, right. but their thinking around this was, Hey, they've got the skill set that we're raising them to think critically around problem solving, right? The customers that were, we can provide all the non-value add stuff, features, benefits, right. kind of that. And what they, their, their approach was, Hey, they're going to learn the product inside out because they're going to hear directly from prospects and customers you know, what works, doesn't work. What are they trying to use with this thing? And it worked. I mean, they were their top two performing, you know, SDRs and then quickly moved in through the organization. So I guess that's more one reinforces your point on critical thinking, but two, don't think of this as a, you know, just an entry level position. This is frontline with your customers. And as you're looking to grow the business, these are the folks that if you hire correctly, can take on additional leadership roles beyond just, you know, the, the sales function. You, you brought up a good point, particularly with what we do when we take it into companies. We look at anybody that touches that customer is in business development. So I've been, you know, outside sales, inside sales, customer service, project management. I've even been training people in the accounting department. Okay. They have to interface with people, collect bills or talk about that. And we had a situation where a young lady was actually in inside sales or support to sales and was, and, and they have more interface with the clients when you think about it. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a profile for those people because they're nurturing, they can get in there, they deepen the relationship, they can hear things, but they're heading down oftentimes just solving a problem or taking care of a customer need. What we did is we opened up that perspective with them that they're a part of the business development process and that they've got some skill sets that they could use to help open up opportunities. And this just happened last year where a young lady was in that position, went through our training, started asking what we call the Socratic method of questioning, and all of a sudden uncovered a major opportunity, threw it over the fence to the rep because we teach the continuity of conversation. She could talk shorthand to him. There's the apparent reasons I found, da-da-da-da, here's the contacts. He goes back in, didn't even know anything about this. He goes back in and they nail a $200,000 sale just because this young lady was trained and opened up to ask other questions, you know, yeah, no, and, awesome. and that was huge. 
But that's the thing, the continuity we look at. We want that ecosystem. We want to build out anybody that touches that customer now understands, and they get excited. They get excited because they know they were a piece of that. And, and that, again, this is life stuff, to be honest with you, Brett. It's not just about right. sales. This is all life right. stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and learning to do it right. Because whether you're selling a product or yourself or yep. reading people or understanding it, you're, you're so right on this. And that, you know, certainly all the way back to the curriculum, I think it's, it should be a required class <laughs> for folks <laughs> that are coming out, not just a, you know, a, a major or a elective type of a, an approach. But what I, again, you keep leading me perfectly into the next topic. So thank you. Sure. Because I do think sales has become an organizational approach, especially as the org is trying to grow two pieces to this. So as I'm trying to build, grow my startup, say from half a million, million to, to 10 million, it's a big leap. You got to get some process in place. You got to get a lot of things churning. But what I think is often overlooked is, you know, call post-sale or customer enablement, right? A lot of the times customer yep. success is an afterthought. Hey, we got them in onto the next logo, the next customer, let's figure it out where, you know, there's revenue opportunities within those one keeping them and then an expansion is just a lost i don't know if it's a lost art a lost skill or just folks aren't comfortable having those conversations say hey you're you're using our product quite a bit there's a couple other things you could use so i'd love to get one your pers let's start with that get your perspective on organizationally as you're trying to make that giant jump how do we get the all the teams to start thinking about you know revenue growth we're talking about two different things here, okay? And this is what we coach a lot on. Number one, I build out a pyramid for current business, okay? So net new business within a customer. What are those opportunities? What are the ones that you really can see some opportunity with? How do you cover those, right? Yeah. You have the other side of this is brand new prospects, new logos, whatever you want to call it, right? So those are two separate things, Yeah. basically. And we look at that as part of your strategic account plan. So in your strategic account plan, you've got a lot of information about the current clients you have, and you're constantly building that out. We have a whole methodology around that as to really what you're looking for and really grafting out, marketing out, you know, much like some of the other sales system, who are all the players, you know, and what roles do those players play? On the other side of that is we look at, you know, prospecting. So most, well, not most, but it should be responsibility of most reps the care and the feeding of the current clients they have, that they can't just be pure hunters. Because if you go throwing it over the fence and these people should be strategic in a business. So I look at your real responsibility when you have accounts is you gotta be strategic in that business, okay? You gotta be thinking about their business. You gotta know their business inside and out. You gotta be bringing stuff to the table. Because if you aren't bringing value add to the table and making suggestions today, you're gone. Now, these buyers are smart today. You know, they're, they're better educated, number one. They got all the assets and resources to get to because before the internet, they, they relied on salespeople. You know, you held the keys to the kingdom. That's how you, it was easier to get, get appointments and stuff. Now they know more about you, your products, your services, your competition, your pricing before you even walk in the door. Okay. So they're not interested in them having to th throw up all over you about their business and everything else. You better be pretty educated about that. There's a reason why you're there in front of them. And that's what you need to understand. So when you look at the two different you know, aspects of this thing, it's about new net business within a, a client or clients and understanding and determining. And we have a, I have a whole methodology there. It's almost Prado's law, really, 80-20. You know, 80% yeah, yeah. of your customers are going to be do, doing 20%. But, and that was a big wake-up call for a client that, I, that we've had now for this last year. They didn't realize. And boy, when they started digging into it, because I did the analysis on it, and they go, holy crap, we didn't realize that. But what they also didn't realize is all the potential downline that they weren't really cultivating because they were too absorbed with doing, you know, customer service, which some of that stuff should have been thrown over to their support people instead of them being in it too much because they weren't really mining gold. And also right. they were more reactionary than, than proactive. And so the other side of that is just really getting focused on this because things change. I mean, we saw it this last year, you got mergers, acquisitions, anything can disrupt the business that you have in hand. And you better have plan B, okay? Now, those can be a positive thing for you because if they're getting acquired by your bigger company and that's a gateway or an entryway for you because they keep the, the people you've been working with and they can sing your praises and maybe take a look at that, that's great. But I got to tell you something. In my experience, it doesn't happen as often as you'd like it to. Right. So you better have plan B, okay? Plan B is either how are you moving those clients up that might be B clients to you? lower level clients, how do you move them up? Is there the potential for that? 
and then get over here in the column of prospects. And again, I stratify the prospects. I have a simple rule, okay? And that is this, 5A prospects, 15 Bs, and 20 Cs. 40 accounts total, that's it, okay? And why the five A's? Because there's five days of the week and you better be doing something with each one of those A accounts every day of the week, okay? Whether it's five minutes or it's a half a day, whatever, moving that because you either move them up to being a client or you move them off or down to the C's where you're dripping on them or whatever the case might be. But the effectiveness of this is that you're focused, okay? Now your B's are your farm club. Those 15 are your farm club. And so again, this isn't static. You got to be constantly looking at how do I prioritize this? If one of my A's drops off or we don't get the deal or whatever, who am I moving up? Right. Who am I cultivating and moving up? And again, that's, that's, you know, you got to put your head into this. You know, you got to be able to understand your business and how does this work? I mean, just like a pro sports team, right? You got an A player gets down, gets injured. They're reaching down to the farm club, pulling somebody up. Right. Or they're pulling them from another team. Right. So, a lot of this, a lot of the analogies are very simple, just the same as what you would look at pro sports. The other thing I share with business owners is this. I ask, this is one of the first questions I ask, you know, what's your view of sales? Is it an asset or an expense? And I have to tell you, that's pretty revealing when you get the answer on that one. Right. And then basically what you have to do, and then I play a little game and I just say, hey, look, let's just imagine for a minute that you're the owner of a pro sports team. What's your favorite type of sport? And they tell me, I say, okay, great. Uh, now you have a big bag of money. You can go out and recruit anybody you want, any top player you want to play. Right. But to entice them to come play with you, you tell them, Hey, you come work for, come play for me. No coaching, training or practice. You just show up on game day. And then I ask him, how would that work for you? And they go, well, that wouldn't work very well. Why not? Well, because uh, would you agree also that that's pretty much the assets of your whole, of your whole company are those players, especially with a pro, pro sports team. Right. Yeah. I said, why are you treating your salespeople like that? You expect yeah. these guys to be world-class athletes out there and you're not even training them, you know? <laughs> so good. And there's so much we could actually unpack there because I, I'm, I'm with you. And, it, and again, one of the themes that I keep hearing from you, have a plan, right? This is, things don't happen by accident. And, you know, I actually just wrote a little post not too long ago on, you know, I had a boss back in the day that used to preach, you know, ARE, acquisition, retention, expansion, have a plan for each of them. And, the earlier you can start that as you're growing, the better off it's going to be because most companies are reacting and trying to figure out what they want to do after the fact and, you know, make it clear. I think the other piece that we haven't touched on, which I agree isn't necessarily a priority is, you know, compensation has got to align with oh, yeah. what, what you're looking for. Yep. And too often, to your point, a commission only isn't going to work, right? Just you're not going to get the right people for it. And well, I talk about follow the money, you know, what's the behavior style? What are they, what, what are they going to be incented by? Not all people are incented by money. Right. And, and you can't focus on the money. What's the money for? That's really what, you know, when I coach and when I set up team, what's the money for? Hey, Brett, you want to make $200,000. That's great. That's just paper. That's just an exchange. What's the money for? Right. Well, Bob, you know, I got, I got two kids to be going to college in the next eight years. Oh, okay. So part of that's going to go there. I have elderly parents. I got to take care. I got the, the dream vacation. My wife wants to go on. What's the money for? Because that's the driver. That's the true motivator. I, you know, you might, this might sound silly, Brett. I tell people all the time, I can't motivate a person. I can't true. motivate anybody. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Okay. Unless I'm holding a nine mil to your head and that's out of fear, but that's going to be temporary. Right. Sure. Yeah. But I can't motivate you. If you intrinsically, you don't have the motivation. I can inspire you. I can equip you. I can encourage you. But if you don't have that, you know, that within you, you know, I can't manufacture that. You know that you're absolutely right. There's, there's a lot to this, and as you know, we, we we've had a few conversations, so this could go off on a lot of different tracks. But that's why it's, I say look for attitude. You know, in people, are they on fire? And you can tell a lot of that by you know we're a big proponent of doing assessments before hiring, and not as a hire as a guidance tool, not as because you can't use that as an absolute for hiring. Right, right, right. But it certainly is a a great indicator of what you who you're dealing with here. And where they're going because they can't fake a lot of that stuff on these assessments. They can't game those. They're they're done too well. So I'm a big proponent, of, especially when you get down to the top candidates, you know, and you go through that. But I'm I'm with you. And management's a huge part of this. You know, the training, the management, the coaching, the mentoring. We kind of fell out of favor with that. You you mentioned something about your old sales manager. My first sales manager when I went out in the field with Nestle, 
was a Korean Marine veteran. Actually, when it got cold, this guy had frostbite because he was stuck on a hill over in Korea. I'm going to tell you something. You could cut your hand on this guy's crease in his pants. Okay. His name was Bill Cartledge. And Bill had something he pounded into me right from day one. If you haven't got a plan, don't get in the car. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. If you haven't got a plan, don't get in the car. <laughs> you know, I teach a simple method too about the ABCs. And that basically is what do you have control over and you have choice over? Okay. A stands for attitude. B stands for behavior. C stands for commitment. So on a three-legged stool, as I used as the metaphor, if any one of those legs is kind of out of balance, what do you got? They're wobbling. Now, it's not going to be perfect every time, but check in on your ABCs. And I have my clients put on a post-it note, get it in your face. How's your ABCs? That's the first lead question I'll ask them when I coach them. How's your ABCs? Yeah. No. Because sales is a game that's played from the neck up, yeah. just like golf. <laughs> And it even goes back to your, your thing, right? Two ears, one mouth. It, it starts with being able to listen. And the other thing is, it's a cliche, but listening is a skill, right? Mm -hmm. Just don't listen so you can speak next, right? When they take a breath, but, you know, really understand what they're saying. Because to your point, they're giving you the clues on where their pain points are. And if you just go straight back to what you're leading with, because you thought that's what the solution was, you know, your, your sales and your conversion rates are going to be terrible. And it's, it, you're right. It just goes down to a, a fundamental approach to, to growing the business. Well, it's just like the name samurai too. When you look at the samurai, you know, the, the whole culture of that, right. They live by what they call a Bushido code. And one of the code was live in the moment. Okay. So three of them we adopt is honor, service, and commitment, because we think obviously in sales or business development, you better have all three of those honor, service, and commitment. But the other one was why there were some of the fiercest fighters that were ever known was the fact that they had no, they had no uh, past and they had no future when they went into battle. They were focused in the moment. Honor was extremely important because if you dishonored the dojo or the, the, the emperor or whatever, you know, if you were in battle, basically, and they learned this as part of the code, what they called sepakur, which was basically hirikiri. How to they had a whole ceremony around that that they had to learn if they dishonored somebody. If it was on the field of battle, the katana came out and their head got lopped off. Okay. That's how important it was. So I, I think that's another part of this thing is not only when you take this on in the salesperson honoring, not only, you know, the company you're working for, you know, your integrity and all those things, but honoring yourself, being a person of honor, because as you know, sales is a dirty word. That's why you don't see it on business cards anymore. Right. Have you seen anybody handing out a card where they're a sales rep or anything? No, they're account rep, their business development, whatever it might be because there's such a stigma around the, the name sales or what sales is. And it's a myth, just yeah. like down there at DePaul, you know, a lot of kids, you know, were in the marketing department and all that. And then they, they, they got this, they have a whole different idea of what sales is until they go through a orientation period or they get some information on it. And all of a sudden, Whoa, wait a minute. You mean I can make all the money I want to make? I can do this and I can do that and I can use these skills. Yeah, you can. And it's all transferable. That's the other part about it. These are all transferable skills. Yeah, 100%. I think, yeah, we've kind of touched on it. It is a life skill. And I look at, you know, my oldest daughter is a technical recruiter. That's sales, right? You better you're selling it. a position to two different people that you got to marry. And yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I do think there was a, there probably still is a stigma with the, the name sales, but I think it's, it's getting better just because of the way the roles evolved and it's had to evolve, right? You know, one, right. one last quick story I'll give you on that because- yeah. This is at the enterprise, you know, Microsoft basically reorged their entire sales and even big deeper than that go to market. And what they basically did was took their best sales engineers or engineers that were really good customer facing and moved them into the sales org. And because what they wanted was their salespeople to have really good conversations with prospects that could talk about the solution. And I know that's a more of a technical sale. But I think the fundamental transitions, right? You have to be able to talk to your prospects about their problems. And, and, and that's one of our sweet spots is technology. We work with technology, engineers, architects, and all that stuff. And part of it, they never see themselves in sales. Right. Okay. Well, I'm not a salesperson. I'm going to say, well, you are. You're probably the best because you understand Socratic method. You understand that you have to solve a problem. So you're great at asking great questions. Okay. All we got to do is transfer that skill up to the front end when you're going out. And doing the same thing with class. 
Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've had people with CPAs or attorneys or engineers, and all of a sudden the light bulb comes on. Oh, you mean it's just a conversation that I would normally have with somebody else? So, yeah, that's it. It's just a conversation. You don't have to put pressure on yourself. You have to be somebody you're not because it's all focused on the other side. You know, it's all focused on the buy, not on the sell. It takes an enormous amount of pressure off of people. And all of a sudden they light up. They're, they're, all of a sudden they're, they're trying this stuff and it's working. You know, but the cool part about it is ours is a method. It's not prescriptive. You don't walk, talk, and dance and do this. And, and like when I came up in some of the training I had, right. Right? <laughs> what we really did was basically said, look, it's a model. And you put your own fingerprints on that model. You use it any way you want. But I can guarantee you, even if you only get a 50% right, you're going to be way ahead of a whole lot of other people. They're coming in, showing up and throwing up and spitting on about all their stuff, you know, and the buyer doesn't care about that. The buyer care, what we call with them, right? What's yeah. in it for me? Yeah. That's what they care about. And people operate in their own self-interest first. I don't care if you're a hardcore procurement agent or what, and, and I've had them all, you know, up and down. Some are a little tougher, especially when you get people that are, are you know, analytical and all that thing. They keep things close to the breast, but you scratch the surface there and there's human emotion. And that's what we're dealing with. We're really dealing with emotion of what's in it for them. Yep. Okay. And I want to go on in a big diatribe. The other thing I want to share with you that to your point about cultivating customers. Okay. And I never went through any of this kind of training. It might be out there now. I know it's a, with customer service people, there's training specifically on this, but I never went through a sales curriculum and, and there may be some of this out there, but we talk about how you, how you create customer loyalty and customer evangelists to your point, man, there is a lot of gold to mine. People aren't even bending over and picking it up. In the 08-12 downturn, that's all I preach. My mantra was all the time. People aren't buying from somebody they don't know, like, or trust. Right. But you've got a natural gift. here. you got people either you did business with in the past and they know you, or you have current clients. And there's gold there to be mined. And you're not even you know, bending over to pick it up. And that is get deeper with that client. Really understand the client. I can't tell you how many times I ask a sales rep, well, how are you doing with the client? How are they scoring you as far as what you're delivering? Well, uh, you know, I haven't. What surveys have you done? Have you had sat down in a quarterly review or an end review? How are we doing? Right. And it's amazing to me. And part of the reason is they don't want to hear. They got fear around what they're going to hear. Right. Well, when do you want to know that now or when the door slamming that they're walking out the door on you? Right? right. So, you know, these are fundamental kind of things, but you know, maybe it's just me that I grew up with this stuff. Take care of that customer. You got to really be in tune with them and understand that. And guess what? They will evangelize you. They will go out and actually evangelize you. And when we talk about that, that leads right back around to the top of the pyramid that we teach about quality introductions and quality referrals and alliances. Now this whole prospecting thing becomes a whole lot easier when either you got somebody calling you that, hey, Brett told me about you. He said I should talk to you. Or I go to Brett and you go, hey, hey, Bob, you know, I got this guy that I know he's really having a tough time and you make a, a quality introduction for me, or we meet with each other or whatever, it doesn't get any better than that. It just doesn't. 100%. You know, it's, it's really about this personal side of selling. I, and I really believe we're coming back around to that. Relationships count. Oh, they're critical. Yeah. I'm, you know, it's so glad. And maybe that's a good way to close this portion. And, and I'm seriously sure. thinking we need to do a part two where we can get into some of the tactics of it. Cause I think that's important, but I think it was important to get to the fundamentals of thinking about, you know, your organization as you, as you grow, but the, the relationship aspect, the one interesting thing, and I've, you know, talked to folks about it as I've been doing this podcast, cause this is now we're in 80 plus episodes. And I thought, you know, being 25 years in the industry, I knew it all right. <laughs> I've seen it. I know how this works, but you know, I opened my mind to it and really starting to understand there's other channels, right. That, you know, and again, in my simple, you articulated much better, but in the world of going after your prospects, right. There's, you know, the folks that know you and know they have a problem, right. All day, every day, those are your A's, make sure you're focused and go out there. There's folks that know you, but don't know they have a problem education, right. How you're helping yep. them. The other flip side is they know they have a problem. They don't know you, right? So how do you create awareness? And then where I see too many people spending too much time or don't know they have a problem, don't know you, but yet you're still spending calories and time and burning it. And so tying that back to where I was originally going with my point with, with referrals, that there's a bunch of other business development channels that are now available to B2B companies that I don't think, maybe they were there just not utilized through referral programs and 
yep. you know, testimonials. I think in back, back in my corporate days, one of the big things, Hey, if we do well, can we use you as a referral? Yeah. And especially now with video, man, yes. I tell you, I had something that just happened to me that I've never, ever happened. This happened late last year. I had a client of mine. We got to be able to go out and have breakfast and, and he's a wealth management, right? And quite a success. He's very successful now, but he was really struggling with it when he came in to me because, you know, in that area, that's the most sacrosanct thing to most Americans is their money, right? Yeah. So you got to be highly trusted. You got to have referral, you got credentials. And he wasn't using his credentials because for a big chunk of his career, he was managing a major family's money here. He was a family office and he was okay. managing the money for them. That's a big deal, right? Well, he wasn't leveraging that. Yeah, that's part of marketing, right? Yeah. The finally, light bulb comes on and he go, his business goes like a hockey stick. So we go out to lunch and he says, hey, and this has never happened, Brett. He looks at me across the table and he says, Bob, would you mind if I you know, did a video testimonial for you? Twist your arm, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've asked people and, they, and they're not reluctant. They'll give me a, a testimonial. But he actually went on Zoom, did a video testimonial for me. I think I sent you something on that. Yeah, you did. And, and oh. that's the first time that's ever happened. And that was really sincere. I mean, the guy was talking about, here's what happened. Here's what I got out of this. And it wasn't anything about, you know, here, ABC training and all that stuff. What it really was, the revelation of what I was speaking into him was, you've got to be able to make yourself distinct. I don't talk about difference. I talk about distinction. And to your point also about going out, here's where I see the fallacy of this, that you're particularly digital, you're throwing it against the wall and see what sticks. Right. Now, that might work in some industries or businesses, but when you're talking about high-level B2B and all that, do your homework. The other thing, too, is blue ocean, red ocean. Look at all the competition. How, what is making you distinct, standing out? Do your homework. Your target audience is only this. It's not all this. So I really, really do this hammer in with my clients. Who are your best customers? What the attributes of those best customers? Look at the trends that you have. Who do you really like doing business with? What is it about them you like doing? Why do they do business with you? Really do some reflection on that. And that's really another year we call the sweet spot. Yep. That's what you want to look for. And now, because of the history that you have with those people, you look what attracts you to them. Now you can frame out your message. Right. Now you can frame out your message. And all of a sudden, you're going to draw the people to you that basically that message resonates with. You know, you and I were in direct marketing back in our day, right? What, we, what I learned very much of the relevant message, relevant audience. Yeah. Okay. If you're into cats and I'm speaking to you about llamas, you're not interested. You know, right. you may catch lightning in a bottle once, but yeah, it's going to waste a lot of a lot of time. And right, you know, I think just to kind of reiterate what you said, I mean, it's so much more powerful when a, a client or a customer talks about you versus when you talk about oh, yourself. And yeah. so, again, start building that library early and and yeah. often, and you know, again, lead with the value and you know, all that good stuff. And yeah. So I think again, we could probably talk for another hour. So I want to be respectful of yep. your time. So I've got the, the two questions I always close with one is, you know, what's, what's next for you starting a new year? What's, what's, what are you focused on here? I, I'm really pumped. I am just absolutely over the moon about this year because we still, we, we kind of got assignment for the client that we had had about four or five years ago. And they were sub 10 million. They were making the transition from pieces and parts and tracks, actual selling to actually solution selling. It was actually a technology company. So we work with their reps. They went in four years time, a little less than four years time from sub 10 million to over 20. They crested at in, uh, in going into 20. And I will tell you that they meant their number, a, wow. a bit of a revised number, but they meant their number for the year, this year. Now, part of that, and they, they laid all this stuff at my doorstep. And I said, no, it's your people. I am. I go. I look. I'm facilitating the information. It's them grabbing and taking it and doing something with it. It's not me, and and it's not just out of false humility. But I mean, I, I truly believe that. You know, if you want to learn something, you want to grab a hold of it, and it's working for you, then you're going to take and utilize it, right? Yep. So the the, the what happened was they came back and they said, "Look, Bob, we're scaling. We know we're going to. You know, we're on our way to 50 million. Okay. Well, that's a big jump, and we're going to do that in five years. But we know we have to scale this business." And one of the things that came to me and said, we'd like to create a learning university, you know, and I said, great. So we went out, I won't go into big dive drive, but this is the part that's really exciting for me, especially for small mid-market companies. Okay. Is here's what they're faced with right now. And this is where I get the deer in the headlights. When I ask the question is what, what's the age group of your, of your organization across the board? Well, you got a lot of aging out. You got all the boomers, 10,000 a week now turning age 65. Okay. 
So what's that do to your organization? And oftentimes these companies are pretty thinly staffed. They're not deep like a fortune company, right? Where they got two, three levels down, you can move somebody in. And this actually happened to this company to prove my point. 20 plus year veteran walked out the door one day and not to return. Okay. No documentation of the tribal knowledge this guy had. They were in deep doo-doo. Now, this isn't this isn't an exception. I will tell you, across the span of small mid-market companies, this is the rule. Yes. And so as I've started to talk to folks and about this, all of a sudden it's like this during the headlights. Hey, if one of your key players walks out and you dies or retires, you know, early, what are you going to do? And so this whole repository of information now, which is phenomenal, it's absolutely designed for a small mid-market company. It's not kludgy like a big LMS system and all that. I don't even want to call it an LMS system because it focuses on personal development. But literally, we can build out that for every, every column of the business. We happen to be in the business development column, so we're going to build that all out. Within that, what we're doing, too, is saying, okay, somebody, what's the succession plan for key players, right? And also, how are you going to attract younger people? You're a small mid-market company. How are you going to attract young people to come in and work for you? Well, I can tell you three things we've learned out of our association with Paul. They want, A, are you going to give me development and training? What am I going to get? What is your development plan when you're bringing them in? How are you going to onboard them? And again, like I told you, this is the biggest area we see right now, a problem, especially with salespeople, for God's sake. Number two, what's my career path? Okay. How, you know, how do you step them through roles and how they, they can escalate up as far as their career path goes, right? Yeah. And then obviously number three, what's my comp right. and how do you, how you frame that whole thing out? Okay. So you got a better opportunity bringing new people in and get excited about working for your company. If you got a plan for them and this is nothing new, but it's somehow we've walked away from all this stuff. And then that helps you with the succession. And if something happens now you've got plan B, right. And then to your point, bringing them in at different levels. Now, right now, my client wants to bring in two high level people, two top performers. Well, we're going through a whole vetting process to see if they're a fit to come in here and hit the ground running. But guess what? There is an onboarding process that's going to go on for six months with them. I don't care what your credentials are, how much you've sold before. If you're not buying into this because this is our method and model, then boom, because it's duplicatable, it's replicatable, and we've got success out of it. Okay. So that's basically what, what we're doing here. So I'm excited about the prospects of that, being able to offer that kind of a platform to a company going in, particularly with, you know, the tip of the spear, business development, sales, revenue, bringing that in, driving it. But then we'll have the capability also with my network of building out all the other columns of the business and populating that. Part of the issue with this company is too, because it's a tech company, they have to have certifications. Well, guess what? They've got all these different companies that they have these certifications from. There's no, you know, insight into that as to how well you're doing because there's money and revenue attached to that. The higher certification, there's more money. And all of a sudden, we can bring all that together and give that visibility. So anyway, that's what I'm excited about is being able to go out and offer now in 21 these academies in a small, you know, this isn't for everybody, but they've got to have their head screwed on straight about the future. So if they're growing, they want to scale They've got to start get looking and playing. That's how we do this. And that, that's the same thing for a smaller company. Sure. You know, we can implement that. And that'd be a no brainer for a smaller company. Mm-hmm. And here's the cool part. It's priced right. It's priced for mid-market, small mid-market company. So you literally, I can put it, I can stand this thing up, put a 50 person company in it for 20 grand for a whole year. And the, just the ROI on that, again, reiterating for these businesses, because one of the things that I preach and preach is, is build the infrastructure. And I don't mean infrastructure of technology, even though that's a piece of it and I'll process, but you got to think two-step chess versus checkers, right? As you're growing a company and think about building an infrastructure that can scale with you as you go. Now, in your early stage, there's two of you and you're still feeling out the market and understanding your value problem. Maybe a little bit early, but but to your earlier point, it's never too early to start thinking about how we're going to do this. And well, and I know this is the heart of what you do. I tell young people all the time, get a great coach and a mentor. Get in some of these groups, you know, because I'm a big fan of that. You know, these peer groups and that kind of thing. Iron sharpens iron. And you get a lot of perspective, especially if you have a little bit more mature players that are in there, been there, done it. And also just the network that you establish. I mean, wow. 
the money you can save out of, you know, not stepping on a landmine because of having this kind of experience around you, it's enormous, you know, yeah. they've been there, done it before. And they have a player that you can go to that gets it right. So yeah, coaches, mentors, all that kind of stuff. I'm a big proponent of that, especially for young people coming in. One of the companies we work with was a marketing company, marketing agency was just starting their career. I happen to know the young man and he said, Bob, I want to go through your program right off the bat. He no more founded the company. He and a partner. And he said, we got to learn this thing called, we know what we're doing as far as this digital stuff, but we don't know anything about business development. They got in there and they, they, they set a goal. They tripled what their first year goal was right out the gate. They tripled it again, the second year. And now he's part of a bigger age, got bought up by bigger agencies and a player in that other agency, because now he can scale things in a bigger way quicker. Yeah. That's but awesome. he's out, he, he's out making rain. And again, if, this is something you can learn. It's right. It's exactly. But like, like that, he recognized it, you know, I got to get this right, right out of the gate, you know, because oftentimes what happens is people spend an enormous amount of money on other things that not really are moving the needle, you know, and getting a skill that they absolutely have to have. And that is sales, you yeah. know, business development. And so by the time they get to me, they're out of money and they're out of gas. You know, it's like, I'm sorry, you know, what do you want me to do here? You right. Know? Again, <laughs> you know? build it up front. I mean, and again, make the investment up front, you know, and it's not that much. When you look at what, what people spend with me versus their college education and the debt they're running up or an MBA, the average MBA, you don't pay that back for a decade, right? right. The bill that you ran up on that, that's if you went to a, a school, right? So you know, I tell people the investment with me, if you don't get the, the initial investment with me, in a sale or two, you're not a good candidate for this program. Right. And what I like about your process is you, you'll know up front, right? You're not bringing in you know, the, the wrong folks into the, into the program. And even, you know, you talk about MBA and the payback, you know, you're one wrong hire from having that much expense. <laughs> so if, if not more, right, you've got opportunity costs, learning costs, just the pure expense of making the nine month or the 12 month bad hire. And so and here's what I really, Brett, I'll tell you this right now for this little, this little mid-market company, Okay. They're going to be in a whole class, you know, above their peers. I asked that only the other day, who do you know within your, you know, cause he's in a peer group within this industry. Right. I said, who do you know within your peer group that has this capability right now? And he said, I don't know anybody, Bob. I said, that's, these guys are going to be chasing you. Yeah. Because I'm telling you that will be your competitive advantage. You're well thought of in the industry. You're a comer that people know that and you start implementing this stuff and they're going to really know it. I mean, he's got the president of major corporations giving him testimony and I'm sitting there going, dude, <laughs> that's your most powerful sales engine right there. Bro. I can tell you there's three kinds of businesses and I've lived all of them, right? You've got the businesses going South and you know what to do there. You got to cut, you got to bail, you got to do something. You got the businesses flatlining. You're just milking this thing along. And then you have this one like this. I will tell you of the three, this is the hardest one. Yeah. This is the hardest one because I've made all the mistakes. If I went cautious, okay, all of a sudden I'm scrambling because I got a windfall and now I'm making bad hires because all of a sudden I'm doing this and I'm not spending the time to make the right hires. All of a sudden, if I'm over projecting, that's a free fall. <laughs> yeah. Know? No, you're so right. This is the toughest one. <laughs> The old, it's, it's a good problem to have, as I say, but yeah, you're, you're basically paving the road as you're driving the car, right? So it's the balance of, <laughs> but if it comes back, if you've got the right infrastructure to scale, you'll know when you need to start hiring and what other processes you maybe can start automating. And so like, yeah, it's, uh, well, it's kind of that mindset, like Daniel Kenneman says, you know, think slow to go fast, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And that's really what it is. We're getting to the same point, critical thinking we talked about before. Thinking about these things, because I know a, a company right now that are on a growth path, a tremendous growth path, and they pull the throttle back. They pull the throttle back. Whoa, let's, let's slow this puppy down. And so they're really having a systematic approach to their growth Love because it. they know what's going to happen if they don't. They're smart enough to get this. And that's the other thing. You know, they, people get starry eyed and they see the money and they see all this stuff. And, and you don't think, to your point, the infrastructure is going to take that it has to support all that. Right. 100% right. Again, Sorry. a good problem to have, but it, no, I love it. I think that's a perfect way, but I'm not letting you go without my last question, which sure. is maybe we've already covered it with all the, the value you've added, but you know, what is one thing, you know, personally or professionally that you would highly recommend? Well, I'm going to get a little philosophical because okay. there's a, there's an old rule in speaking and that is the three B's beyond be brief and be gone. Okay. So at the beginning of the year, as I, around Thanksgiving, I started thinking about things. And I, I think this would probably just be 
good stuff anyway, but just in general, and again, and kind of getting back to this human thing. But my three beasts basically now for now, for, for frankly, the rest of my life, because it gave us a bit of consideration that is be grateful, be humble and be a giver. Be grateful, be humble, be a giver. I think those three things are really important for anybody as a human being, but more importantly, for a business owner, be grateful for what you have. I mean, we're living in the greatest country in the world. We've been through a horrific time, unprecedented in my lifetime. But at the same time, I'm extremely grateful that I live in this country. We have what we have. We have these opportunities we have. And, and we live in a, in a society or, or that is innovative. You know, we're going to figure ways around all this stuff. I mean, to me, this year's a greenfield for a lot of companies. 100% right. This is yep. huge, you know, greenfield. And look at just what happened, uh, you know, during this thing, how people switched gears. I don't know if you know Mike Lindell that owns MyPillow up in Minneapolis. Oh, that I know. Did. I don't know him personally. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What that guy did in 48 hours, he completely turned his whole manufacturing facility into making masks. 48 hours, he had a 10,000 run of masks that day and then 50,000 a day thereafter. Remarkable. And guess what happened to his business? The pillow business. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you do good things and, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's not rocket science sometimes what we're doing. And, you know, I, lo I love that. And I think, you know, the payback is coming for those folks that follow those three Bs that you just, they just outlined. And it's, it's just a better way to go through life, right? Now there's, shortcuts and people get ahead by doing things that are in the gray area or, you know, are self-serving, but you know, I'm a big believer in karma. <laughs> so I believe it, <laughs> you know, the more you can give and you know, life's just better when you, you take that approach. So I appreciate you sharing that. I am a hundred percent on board with that. Yeah. I, I know that wasn't, you know, Oracle wisdom there, but I just thought it to me, I'm just a simple guy just getting back to basics. And, and fewer things, you know, I, I like when I help my clients with goals, uh, I help them plan goals in five areas of their life, because most people spend more time planning their vacation than they do their life. That's true. And so every year we go into the goal planning in five areas of your life. And as I tell them, don't boil the ocean here. Don't put 15 things on your, you know, on your to-do list, max three in each one of these categories. And then we use smart goals you know, be specific, be measurable, you know, accountable and all that time sensitive and really put meat on the bone as to how you moving the needle. I want to lose 15 pounds. Well, what's that look like? You know, right. I want to make $200,000. Okay. That's great. <laughs> yeah. There's a, it's a little off topic. I had, you know, Sean Rosenstiel was on, he had a new book about living intentionally and just phenomenal. I mean, again, I got a chance to read it ahead of time. And, you know, I could have probably used that book 10 years ago, but it's along what you're saying, right? It's, it's have a plan and, and identify what's really important to you outside of just business, because you can't yep. separate the two, whether you're an entrepreneur within the corporate, whatever it is, mm -hmm. just start being more intentional about what you're doing. So. And I told a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs, I said, if you're married, you have a significant, other, they better be in the boat with you. Because this is a joint journey here. Yes. They have to be able to be, you know, of the same mindset that their sacrifices are going to have to be made. Because when you step into entrepreneurialism, it's a whole different ballgame. And especially I've seen a number come out of corporate and they can't make the transition. Right. You know, as I call them, they're on the juice, you know, they're in the needle. You know, they got to have, <laughs> have that. And it's a whole different ballgame when you get out here to be an entrepreneur or be a business owner. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's just so more, much more multifaceted. And you have to be self-aware. I think that's the other thing too. Yes. Uh, as a leader, you better be pretty self-aware today. Yeah, can't can't argue with that. I think you're 100 yeah. percent right. And even like I said, even in the corporate world, you should be right. I think we're we're in a very interesting time. Again, we could probably do another whole yep. segment on yep. <laughs> just okay. the distributed workforce and where we're going with it and you know, the yeah. leadership that it's going to take. But you know, if we circle back to your main theme, which is there is a huge opportunity. You know, keep it simple but you know, find the right people, right? It's, it's the process. So, yep. Um, Bob, I really, really appreciate you taking the time and sharing this with us. I think it's a, it's yep. a great way to help us kick off the year. And as founders are looking to scale their business, or you're thinking about starting a business, or even if you're in the mid market and have a business, you know, this is, this is fundamental stuff. It's not rock and science, but yep. you know, it needs to get done. If you want to grow your business, you don't want to grow, <laughs> keep doing what you're doing, but you know, if not take a step back. And so 
lastly, where, what's the best place for, for folks to reach out to you if they want to learn more about the programs, your content? Where's... I'm a personal guy. You could go out to the website and that's uh, samurai and the uh, bizgrp.com. So it's abbreviated for business group. You can go and reach me at r.lambert at samurai business group. And then, uh, you know, I take personal phone calls. I'm not shy about that. So it's 847-922-1498. Awesome. 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 And we'll include that in the show notes as well. So people can easily yep. find you. Absolutely. But, but thank you to, for doing this. Appreciate it. I think there was a ton of value. I knew there would be as we came into it. So <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. And like I said, we'll, we'll follow up later, you know, in the year and go deeper in a couple of their topics, I think, but I thought it was important to get the fundamentals out today. Yeah. Yeah. We can get any area you want to do because there's management stuff that I've got. You know, there's the sales mastery stuff. We call it mastery, both, both of these programs. And we do that for a reason. Again, when you think about, uh, you know, we use a belt system. So just like in martial arts, how you step right. through belts to get to mastery, uh, you know, which you never attain, <laughs> you know, but you, you, you're working at it. There's different levels of it. And, and that's really what this is all about. It's really about getting the skills and the competencies. And again, these are stuff that serve you through life. I've got lots of stories about people who come back to me about how one guy, how he got you know, his relationship back with his 16-year-old daughter because of what he learned in the program. I mean, you can't pay me enough money, buddy, for that yeah, kind of stuff. That's, that's what's <laughs> phenomenal. And, and again, that's what one, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the program is it's not just sales training. It's more, it goes yeah. back to what you said in the beginning. It's, it's human to human. How do we relate? How do we connect? It's personal, yep. right? But there is skills you have to learn and, and, and all that. So, yep. Okay. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you, Bob. We'll be in. Have a great rest of your day and go get them in 2021. Okay. Thank you. All right, cheers. Um,